Welcome to the Sustock Podcast. I'm Susumu Rocky. The NFL season is reaching the final leg of the regular season, and the playoff picture is becoming oh so crystal clear. To talk some quarterbacks again, I am joined by the producer and board operator of Writer Than You with Bill Ryder from 10 a.m. to noon on CBS Sports Radio. I am He also runs his own football scouting website in TD Scouting. I am welcoming back again Tom DiBenedetto. Tom, thank you so much for returning to the show. And thank you so much for having me back, Sus. Anytime. So the main theme of this podcast, compared to the previous times I've had you on, is... We're just talking quarterbacks that we haven't really given much time to discuss. But before we go into that, I need to we need to do this immediately because this was a must talk as we were exchanging messages. We ought to talk Baker Mayfield's big Sunday against Tennessee. Mm. We have to do this because his stat line at the end of the, that day was four touchdowns, 330 yards. And this is, Baker's kind of had a very up and down season. And here's the question that I have for you is, how much has head coach Kevin Stefanski done in just helping Baker? Because it this team is now dead set, close to making the playoffs. And he has successfully just transformed the Browns into the Vikings. Right. And I think that's the answer. I mean, I think it, I think the, the solution... Um, lies in that Case Keenum season where he, you know, was one a top five quarterback in that Vikings offense. Um, and I think it's a similar type of thing that he's doing with Baker where you have, uh, look, I don't want, Baker played great this weekend. He has had an up and down season. I don't want to make it seem like um, he's terrible or that he's necessarily being babied. I think that word is overused. But Kevin Stefanski is going out of his way to make it easier on Baker Baker's struggling to make full field reads um, in rhythm. I think that's the biggest thing I've noticed from this year and even was true last week at times. The thing you can really tell with Baker, and I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, you go put him on and watch specifically for this and you're gonna, it's going to jump off the screen, is the double clutch thing he does in the pocket um, because his timing and rhythm is not exactly perfect. And so there are a lot of times in the game that he's like pump faking with his arm, but not in a way that's like a – pump fake to get a defender off, you know, or put a defender in the wrong direction, just straight up indec- indecisiveness and lack of confidence in the timing of the play. Um, and so the workaround for that is to do things like, you know, cut down on his read so that he only has to read half the field or he only has to read two routes or he's rolling to his right. I, I think I commented last time I talked to you about him, which may have been the first time we talked this season, that he is so comfortable throwing when he's moving to his right. That's what he wants to do. There are way too many plays where he's just looking to escape to the right so that he can throw on the move. Um, and honestly, he doesn't gain that much from being stationary in the pocket because his footwork is still so bad. He's still throwing from bizarre platforms in the pocket so often that his leverage throwing the ball is almost better when he's not in the pocket than in the pocket, which is bizarre, and that needs to be fixed. But Stefanski is managing it. And I think you know the game is a little bit deceiving this weekend. Uh, when you go back and watch again, you realize how easily Cleveland got up, how quickly, how few plays it was. They really didn't have to grind for 24 nothing, and they were gone at that point. Um, and I believe it was the Peoples-Jones bomb that was that last score that made it 24 nothing. That was the first play of a drive. And if you go back and look at that play, there were only two receivers on that route, and it was a very simple play-action, low-high read. Two receivers read the safety. It was a terrible bite. 
Peoples Jones was gone. Credit Baker for delivering a, you know, a perfect ball on stride that allowed it to be a touchdown and not just a long gain. And that does take some talent. And I think there are plenty of fan bases um, not to have been the first answer, bring up the jets already, but it, you know, as much as I like Darnold, there have been so many wasted opportunities that open deep balls that Darnold's had the last two seasons. He didn't waste it. He hit it, but that play is just a microcosm of both how easy it was for the, him to have this very impressive stat line from this week. Um, and what Stefanski is doing to make life easier on him in general. It feels like, it feels to me like you mentioned like you don't like using the word baby because I feel like part of the job as a head coach is making the quarterback's life as easy as possible, not only just maxing out on his strengths, but also just trying to create a system where not only is your quarterback feeling like he can has the best chance to succeed, but also just take the stress off of him too because – I don't like the term babying QBs either because you can't – or coddling. I don't like it, but it right. just feels like – And it, you know what? It applies when it applies. I don't think it applies here. I don't think that's what's happening. There are instances um, – like I wish Matt Nagy was doing more straight-up coddling of Mitchell Trubisky, which he in the past has. I think coddling is much more of like um, when you're when you're – almost giving them zero reads to make when it's almost just about a play action rollout. Here's the one thing we're going to play. Uh, here's another a much better example. The the Broncos tried to baby uh, Kendall Hinton a couple weeks ago who made that spot start um, out of nowhere because of the COVID disaster. They tried, they tried to draw up a game plan that basically had him make no decisions. And the funniest thing about it is it backfired because he just went off script and tried to make plays and I can't tell whether that's because he wanted to, like, prove a point or whether he just was at that point, like, that level of cluelessness of how to do the job. But that's what coddling and babying is. When you're really taking away any of the, the, the responsibility, that's not what's happened to Baker Mayfield. That's not what's happened to Jared Goff. It's, it's actually, like, ridiculous to even suggest that that's what's happening to Goff. And yet I do see people saying that McVay is babying him using that exact word. So... Um, it, it applies where it applies. It just doesn't apply here to Baker. And you're right. I think you're exactly right. That That is the job of a coach is to cater the offense to the talent and the skill set of the players that are in it and available really that day. That's what a game plan is. And that's, again, why I just I can't say enough how impressed with Kevin Stefanski I am. I think he's the coach of the year so far, not only just on face value being nine and three with the freaking Cleveland Browns, but what he has done. Uh, to mold this team in the you know best way possible um, around the skill set, particularly of the offense, and the fact that, by the way, the power running offense that he was building around those players, which is the correct thing with their incredibly talented offensive line and their otherworldly running back, is that they lost their otherworldly running back for a chunk of the season. And he was kind of able to change gears and get back into this power running gear when Chubb returned. You know, Kareem Hunt's an excellent backup running back, but it's not nearly the same what that offense is when, when there's no Nick Chubb. You know, I'm really glad that you touched on Jared Goff because I always had this joke with, like, I have a, my close friend is a diehard Rams fan, and one of the jokes that I usually would tell him all the time was that Sean McVay is basically a puppeteer and Jared Goff is his puppet. <laughs> He's basically, you don't see it, but... Every time Sean McVay makes a movement or any kind, he's basically moving Jared Goff at the same time. He's basically his brain is controlling Jared Goff, and Jared Goff is basically a vessel of Sean McVay. He is so 
whenever Jared Goff is good, it's because Sean McVay has full control and the strings are extra str- strong that night. But then you get mm. his the real Jared Goff is Jared Goof. Jared Goof is the one who manifests and just completely just craps against the 49ers. So I'm so glad I get to talk about Jared Goff because I feel like we don't talk about Jared Goff enough. And especially the contract extension because it's a constant thing about him is him having to justify the contract extension that they gave him. Because it looked like for at least last year, it looked very bleak. Yeah, I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, it's fascinating that that, uh, Goff and Wentz um, went one and two and that that was that they're from the same class because there's a lot of parallels to the way that things have gone. Uh, obviously Wentz got off to the much faster start than Goff is actually the one who was actually playing in the Super Bowl. Um, and now it kind of looks like they're both in a situation where they have bad albatross contracts that are going to hamstring their team. Goff and McVeigh's relationship and effectiveness is still way more intact though. Um, than Wentz and Peterson and look, I think there's something to the puppeteer thing with Goff. Um, a lot of it is in the way that they are calling and reading the defense, he and McVeigh. McVeigh has kind of, kind of revolutionized this um, hurry up that allows him to see the defense and allows him to make the line of scrimmage check before the play clock gets to 15 seconds and the radio um, into Goff's ear shuts off. So that is quite literally puppeteering where the head coach is just giving him the, the checks on the field. I'm, I hope they've moved away from that. I haven't really seen a lot of talk um, about this season and that particular strategy. And just from observing, there's been a lot more. I mean, you can look at the way that Goff's been running the offense. There's a lot more Goff decision-making at the line of scrimmage inside the last 15 seconds this season than I've noticed before. And, you know, the reality is they, they, had a very curated offense. In fact, you could even say that there are parallels between Stefanski's Browns offense this year with Chubb and what McVay was running successfully with Todd Gurley. It's all about the running back. It's all about the power running game first and using play action and the threat of that running game to bring up safeties and throw deep. And the reason why Goff was such a good player in that scheme was because Goff's arm talent is just through the roof. I mean, the dude has an amazing arm. And he can threaten defenses over the top. I mean, he can just blow you out over the top of your defense. And we have come full circle on that where they have developed. They don't run the ball the same way anymore, although Cam Akers is coming along. So they've developed this whole now West Coast type of passing scheme inside 20 yards. And you get to all the way to the point now this past week, you know, Goff had a great game and played well. And his numbers turned out well, too, except for like air yards or whatever. But he threw 15 passes at the line of scrimmage this week and only one pass more than 20 yards in the air. I don't think that that's necessarily effectively managing his talent and his skill set. Um, now, it worked, but I think that's a that's a dangerous road to be on. You're going to have him throw whatever he did, 47 times. You're going to have him throw almost 50 times. Um, so you're, you're still opening yourself up to that tip ball interception that has haunted him or that weird play. Um, and you're just not trying to grab enough on these plays. And I think the receiving core is good enough that they can try to stretch the field and run a, a, a more uh, complete passing offense. I hope they can move more in that direction. Um, but so I, I think there's a lot there's a lot to what you said about uh, the puppet master thing. But at the same time, you know, Goff has been through a lot in that offense, a lot of change and a lot of evolution. And that still continues like up until this week. I don't even know what they're going to be planning for this game tomorrow night against uh, the Patriots. Yeah, I'm very um, 
interested to see how they do against the Patriots. Just because you, you're going up against Bill Belichick, you know he's going to be, he's raring to just outsmart Sean McVay. But I will say this, though. I thought heading into the season that McVay's offense would be much more opened up because now he gets to choose which running back he wants in a particular play. So he's doing this whole running back by committee with guys like Akers, Malcolm Brown, and Daryl Henderson. And it's worked to some degree. And I also think that I do see it. Sometimes I just feel like he is be like Goff is limited in some in some aspects because we've seen what a, a fully unleashed Jared Goff looks like. It, case in point, that Thursday night game against the Vikings two years ago was probably his best performance yeah. we've ever we've ever seen from him, and yep. he's very capable. Like his deep ball is like in, is insane. Like it's it's not Russell Wilson great, but it's it's up there. It's one. Of, it's probably one of no, no. It's not up. Yeah, there. it's not. It's not Mahomes or Wilson level, but it's top ten ability to throw deep in the league. Yeah, and to not use it at all is crazy. I'm not saying he's not limited. I mean, I've always been a big fan of golf. I'm not saying he's not limited. He's very limited. Um, the reality, it, mostly just because he can't move out of the pocket very well. His foot, his his actual like agility in the pocket has gotten much better because they've clearly been working on that, and especially from last year to this year, but. And he also just makes two, he he has the potential, the ceiling to be a top ten downfield bomber and to be a player who's a very accurate passer. And I think if you watch, that was the defining trait of what made him successful this past week. Um, was for all these short throws that he dialed up, he was on the money. I mean, he was focused and his accuracy was there on almost every one. And he just has these loose balls. It's just part of his deal. And that's the thing. That's the problem with the game plan. It's such a better game plan when Goff is throwing under 30 times and you're running and using the run to throw deep than if you are doing a West Coast passing offense and you're having him throw over 40 times. Because just do the math. Think about the percentages. Jared Goff throwing the ball 40-plus times a game is going to equal at least a turnover. He also gets stripped in the pocket because he's not the most mobile. So you, you're also risking with 50 dropbacks that happening. So I in no way think this is an infallible player at all. He has actually disappointed me in his NFL career so far and kind of is still doing so. But he just has so much talent that can be used in a certain way. Um, I'm not sure they're using it in the right way. But, you know, he, he has talent that's there. And I think at this point is more blatant than Carson Wentz's talent, not to lead you into another topic. But I think it's more blatant when you watch him play that he is a, a, a more talented player at this point right now, all things considered, than Carson Wentz. You know, I'm really glad that, glad that you mentioned Wentz because he's basically extra circled on my document sheet, which I will say this because it just sucks watching someone like Carson Wentz just like get benched just be- when his head coach doesn't really help him at all and his general manager doesn't build a team around him, which basically is the echo that I've heard from all of Philly media throughout the past couple of weeks is that their GM and their head coach left them for dead. And what do you see when you watch Wentz? Like, is it more a personnel and a head coaching problem or are there actual parts of his game that have just kind of fallen off? It's definitely, I mean, look, this is a bad offense. Um, Peterson has kind of lost the plot on what he's trying to do as a play caller and what the offense is trying to do. Just big picture. Um, there's no doubt about that. And look, you have Travis Fulgham emerge as your number one receiver in the season. That tells you everything you need to know about the talent at wideout that you put around nothing against Travis Fulgham, but nobody knew who this dude was, you know, three months ago. So I think all those things are true and fair. And those are the things that I've been saying. I've been a big defender of Wentz for a long time now. I just got tired of it because 
the second part is true too. And you have to be actively ignoring his struggles. It's mostly just accuracy. Um, He misses throws that he needs to hit in every single game and nobody can argue it, period. No matter how big of a defender of his you are, no matter how much you want to say that the line is a problem, which it also is. um, Miles Sanders has been a huge disappointment this season. I don't even know what's going on with him because I'm a believer in him too. Um, and then, you know, they've been banged up and whatever, whatever other things play into it, but it comes down to, you got to make these throws in these tight spots. They've been in a lot of crap games against bad teams from division that there've been opportunities where there was very little he needed to do to keep them in the game and just move the ball a little bit. And he couldn't, um, keep up his end of the bargain, which is why I support the decision to go to Hertz. Um, I had a second round grade on Hertz. I, I thought that, you know, Wentz was a top five overall pick caliber prospect. So obviously I think that the talent level of, of Wentz is higher, but Wentz needs a mental break now because his performance is not matching up to his talent level. I just called Goff more talented, which I thought in the beginning he was more physically talented in the, in their rookie seasons. That looked like a terrible take because Wentz was using his athleticism to dominate games. And honestly, since he got hurt and tried to change his play style, he has not been able to influence games with with his athleticism and once Wentz became a pocket only quarterback then he got exposed for he doesn't have the arm strength that um, Goff does and he needs to be accurate to be effective in that on the offense they're running and that hasn't happened this year he can do it but that's why I think he needs a mental reset I don't think that they're moving to Hertz forever if it works out that way that's a great thing but I think this is just a mental reset to try to keep next year intact and not have the situation get so toxic that he can't return next year and that they have to make some kind of terrible trade that given his contract, I don't even know it's possible, but there's no way they can recover appropriate value for what they've committed to him. He has to come back and get a chance to play next year. I do believe the best way to do that uh, is to give him a mental break now. And I also think it gives them their best chance, frankly, to come back and win the division, which is not going to happen now, but it's not going to happen with Wentz. There has to be an energy change to this team. So that's what Hertz is going to bring. And Hertz also has mobility. So he can, you know, flee the pocket. He can do, they can do a bunch of different things in the offense than they could with Wentz. Um, So I like the move, but I I think that there's, there's definitely things on Wentz's part that he needed to do better this season that cost him this job. I feel like, so I was entertaining this whole idea before I knew about Wentz's, uh, the implications of getting rid of Wentz how how it would affect the Eagles. Like I was entertaining this idea with Hickey where he would go to the Indianapolis Colts and just somehow rejuvenate himself, which was an mm-hmm. idea that sounds great in theory, but then once you look at the contract and the dead cap that the Eagles would have to take up, it's just like, yeah, there's no way they can move move on from this guy unless not for next season. Not for next 59, season. Yeah. I don't what was know it? how much sense that makes for the Colts either. Yeah. Um, like what was, but... was it like fifty nine million dollars in dead cap? Yeah, it's it's something like that. And they, I think and they have an opportunity to get a, get off of it end of next season. And I think that's probably what gonna, what's going to happen. But they're going to have to run it back next year. Um, and, you know, they got a tough decision on on Doug Peterson. I don't even want to weigh in on that because that's frankly above my pay grade. I mean, that's brutal. I, look, I I I'll just say this as a Jet fan, barely hanging on as a Jet fan. A Super Bowl winning coach, I, I can't even tell you what kind of equity that would have with me as a Jet fan. If my, if a coach came and won the Super Bowl with the Jets, I'd never want to fire the guy. I don't, I don't care how bad it got. 
Um, and I think that probably he deserves one more chance to come back with Carson and do it one more time. But I also think that you and I both know what would happen if they did that. So I don't know. It's a tough them, they, Both they and the Cowboys are in terrible places right now. I will say this. There can't be a more toxic or like very unpredictable environment than being in Philly with that fan base. I, I just feel like even they criticized when McNabb was at his peak, they still found ways to just be like, oh, McNabb, oh, this yeah. and that. And they hated Andy Reid. They hated Andy Reid. In fact, if you talk to a lot of Eagles fans, I won't lump them all in this category, but I would say for sure a majority, they will stand there and argue with you right now that Andy Reid was a bad coach when he was the Eagles coach. And I guess things changed or whatever. It's a bunch of nonsense. I mean, it's in, they're insane. And that's why it's annoying. It, it, I, I was a Wentz defender for a long time and it was annoying. And I can honestly already see the sea changing. It's funny the way you frame this whole question that like almost like is Wentz the victim because this is brand new. That's a brand new framing because the sea has already changed because now he's not the guy. So we like him again because he's not the guy. When he was the guy to tear down, we hated him. But now that he's not the guy, now we'll try to see it his way. It's annoying. It's an annoying fan base. I hate to be like this. And believe me, the Jets fan base is the worst one. Talk about annoying. So it's not like I don't I can't call it out in, in you know, my own fan base. Again, barely. But they're annoying and they have a part in how toxic this all got. There is no doubt about it. There is no doubt. And it also is, you're right, it is a part of the decision of whether to retain the head coach. And it shouldn't be, but this toxic negativity for a fan base that just got a Super Bowl. That's why I have no pity. I wouldn't attack any other fan base, but again, coming from where I'm coming from, you got a Super Bowl in very recent memory with this coach. So just, you know, can we chill a little bit? Yeah. And I'll 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 tell you this, though. I'll tell you this, because... You just won a Super Bowl with a head coach who was the disciple of the guy that you didn't like. This guy yes. that you didn't like, he was a disciple yep. of Andy Andy Reid. And I yep. who's about to run off a dynasty in Kansas City, by the way. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then here's another thing, and I will say this, and this is like a brief aside because I've been thinking about this for at least a long while because I've seen most of my friends who are Jet fans just fully embrace the tank. And to me, I it, it's pathetic. I, it doesn't sit well with me at all. It's pathetic. I'm like, why are you rooting for losing? If anything, you should look at what Brian Flores did and realize that this is not how you build a team. You can't do this. You have to, at some point. Thank you, Seth. I, I would rather the Jets win. Like, honestly, if they start winning. Thank you, Seth. If they win, then it'd be like, even if you lose that on Trevor Lawrence, you still create an environment and get a coach that actually wants to create a good culture, wants to get the players fully motivated to get out to every single game, no matter how lopsided it it may be and just give 110%, give 110% and maybe you get an upset win and maybe you turn it around the way the giants did when they just completely bamboozled the Seahawks. I'm sorry. I had to get that in there because I am still bummed and angry about that game. No, I, I, yeah, well, (laughs) Yeah, I won't, I won't touch that. But honestly, I, I thank you for bringing this up because I think it's pathetic. I think that the Jets fans have completely lost the plot on this. It's sad. And the, the only way I understand this is a lost season. Adam Gase is getting, you know, fired and they're, they're going to banish Sam Darnold, too, for a third round pick and yada, yada, yada. So what's the difference anyway and lose and a real fan wants to lose? Well, you just lost me right there. That's, that's not a thing a real fan wants to lose. There, and there is no proven track record 
of getting the number one pick and turning into a juggernaut. That is not a thing that happens, certainly not in this century in the NFL. It's just not. There's not a single example you can point to where that worked out. It's just not. It's not. And and the only way to break the same old Jets, the energy around this franchise is to just win games. That's the only way to do it. The only way to ensure that it never ends is to root for the latest humiliation. And so you had a thing happen this past Sunday that is, it's not quite butt fumble level, but it's like seeing ghost level and it's in the pantheon of Jets humiliations. And as long as you keep adding to that and keep opening that wound, I mean, nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change. And everybody is, you know, enticed by the next new toy. It's the best way to be distracted from how depressing the team is currently. And I understand that part. And I understand the allure of Trevor Lawrence. Believe you me. But Trevor Lawrence alone is doomed with the Jets. There is an entire culture change that needs to happen. And there is a talent revolution that needs to happen. I mean, Quinn and Williams has had a, a much better year this year. And he can stay. Uh, I think there's something to work with with Mims, for sure. Um, Crowder's actually a pretty good slot receiver, and they have a left tackle. You could argue outside of those guys, they don't have anybody that's worth keeping on the whole team, on an actual playoff team that's actually going to matter, that's actually going to be part of the turnaround. So this is a lot to overcome. I don't know what kind of coach they're going to be able to attract with just Trevor Lawrence. Uh, And going 0-16, I'll end here because i got to just stop ranting about this. Going 0-16 is not something that any sane fan base would ever want for their team. That is crazy. That is crazy. So, I mean, look, I, I'm barely a Jets fan. It's not even fair. I shouldn't even get credit for being a Jets fan anymore. I don't want the credit. I don't want the association. And it's hard for me to act like I'm actually commenting right now from a place of having any affinity for that team at all. I cannot stand them. Um but I just don't understand how if you had any affinity left for that team, that uniform, those hideous uniforms, that ridiculous logo, how you could want Owen 16 as part of the story. But again, that's what it is. You root for the latest terrible thing to happen, which is what happened this week. You root for the next terrible milestone, which will be Owen 16. And the idea that 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 those things and cheering those things on is going to change the direction of this franchise is idiotic and crazy but that's that's where we are that's where we are with Jets fans I think what happened was everybody saw what Sam Hinkie was doing and it kind of just permeated all over the other sports and the only difference yeah that worked so well too no 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 the only difference was (laughs) that Sam Hinkie actually it felt like he had a plan and that he was going to act on it once he got said assets in basketball it's a little bit easier to do that because if you keep getting yes. top five talent still doesn't work but yes. no i mean but, but they never really gave him a chance to act on his plan like we never really saw the vision go saw through on his vision but you can't do that in football and honestly i will make the case no. that if the Jacksonville Jaguars, for example, this season, yes, they're one and eight, but they're doing like a secretly good tank because even though they're losing a lot, they're still trying. Those players are still getting out there and they're still playing for Marone, who is a- but they won't let the best quarterback back on the field. You're right. You're absolutely right. But they won't let Minshew back on the field for this exact reason. You're right. They're doing a smart tank. That's what's happening. 
And I would actually argue that if, if it ends up being the Jets' number one overall pick and Jacksonville's number two, and it's Lawrence number one going to the Jets and Justin Fields going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, exactly. I would argue that Fields could, is going to have a much better NFL, NFL career than Lawrence. Thank you, Sus. You're seeing this clearly. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know much better, but I think you're seeing clearly that the difference between those two things is not nearly as big as some might perceive it to be. And that the idea that you would root for your franchise to be associated forever with Owen 16, forever. Um, to to for that difference. I mean, if there was some kind of specific freak year, I mean, first of all, the Jets quarterback that they have is not the problem, first of all. But if there was some kind of specific situation where you had nobody, you had literally no quarterback to speak of, you could you could even say the Jags are in more of that spot than the Jets right now. Um, you had no quarterback to speak of, and there was really only one clear top of the first round prospect. Maybe I could see it, but not none of those things are true. You got a guy that you got to abandon now before the end of his rookie deal that you took at the top of the draft already. You're already going to pass on this guy and move on in a a draft where quarterbacks are going to go one and two. And there may be five quarterbacks taken the first round in this draft. The last time we saw a draft like that, what happened? Was the number one quarterback taking the best quarterback? No. Did the Jets come up next and take the second quarterback in that draft? Did he turn out to be the best quarterback in that draft? No. So, I mean, again, it's just tanking doesn't work in sports, doesn't lead to championships. There's no proof of this. And in the NFL, getting the number one pick at quarterback does not lead to anything. It can lead to basically what Cam Newton and the, and the Panthers did. That's basically the best example from this century of what a number one pick can be. Uh, either that or you say Andrew Luck before he left the team, they had just moved into a situation. They were probably going to be in a real good window. They'd have to get through the Chiefs but a real good shot at winning a Super Bowl after all these years. And they tortured him so much to get there, he retired before they could get there. If those are your two success stories, best, best case, and almost every other season has been a mess for the other teams picking quarterbacks at the top of the draft, why is that your strategy? I, I just, I, I, dude, it's lost on me. You got to try to win games. You got to try to build positive, you know, vibes, a positive program. And you got to have talent. You can't intentionally get rid of all of the talent in your entire organization because you're trying to get one player who's a quarterback in because of the very obvious thing that follows after you do that. I'm going to switch this over because this got to a very, very deep zone. And we're going to talk Steelers now. Don't we all feel very alleviated from all that? It was like very therapeutic, you know? Very therapeutic. Yeah. So you should charge me for this. (laughs) So the Steelers have been the story of the season. Bell of the ball undefeated until this past Monday. They lost to the Washington football team, which will never not be funny. Now, (laughs) I I was working that game and I still could not believe it. The Steelers broadcast could not believe it. They were watching Alex Smith with his bloody sock (laughs) (laughs) march down the field and win the game. And... So a lot of the success for the Steelers, especially in their time as an undefeated team, has been credited to their defense, which, by the way, I love when the Steelers defense is the main focus of this team because I feel it's like that's basically the Steeler way. That's always been their identity, has been the defense. It's been that way since the 70s. It's been that way in the 2000s. And the one part about this team that's really puzzled me is big Ben Roethlisberger. And this is a question that I've been sitting on for a very long time. And here's my question to you. Were the Steelers winning and going on this undefeated streak because of Big Ben or in spite of Big Ben? 
it's a, it's a good question. Definitely not in spite because of is a little strong on the other, on the other uh, end. I've been very impressed with him this year um, just because of the way that he's managed what they are, which is a very strange offense, an offense that wants to run the ball, but can't has a ton of talent at wide receiver and tight end. I mean, a lot of talent on the field that doesn't necessarily perform consistently well. And in recent weeks has been a, a flat out disaster. And so a lot of the responsibility of why the offense was functioning was just on his brain, just managing the game. I'll call him a game manager that I never, this is so funny that this comes up in a, in a game against Alex Smith too, because going all the way back to Alex Smith's prime, you know, calling anyone a game manager was not uh, a bad thing. And watching the way Alex Smith managed the game then, and clearly can still do it now shows you that that's just winning football, which is the point here, right? So Ben's been playing winning football this year because he's been managing the game intelligently um, and using what's left of his arm uh, in a very smart way. Now, that question of what's left of his arm is the thing. That's the question for me that every week I watch him and I'm trying to get a form a real opinion. And I can't tell. And he's had weeks this year where he's thrown the ball around the field looking zippy. He's thrown over the top. Obviously, the emergence of Chase Claypool has been a huge, ridiculous boon to that offense and his ability to hit Claypool over the top and have enough arm to still do that kind of for, you know, a good six weeks in the middle of the season kind of was the engine that was running that offense, um, which was a great thing to watch. And I was happy for Ben. Then, you know, we see him the la this last week, especially, but in recent games and he looks like he has no arm left. Like there's nothing in the tank and it dawned on me against the football team that as we head into the colder weather, uh, it may become a dominant storyline with the Steelers that Ben has no arm left and can't throw it down the field. And if you notice, not only did he not have a lot of arm in this game against the football team, he couldn't get a clean spiral out of his hand either. So he didn't have a lot of arm, and then he wasn't able to cut the ball through the air with a good tight spiral either. So that's kind of like a, you know, that's a, that's a double big issue right there. And as we get into more competitive, tighter games, uh, especially because they're not a team that's going to be built to blow anybody out. They never really were, but now the defense with the huge injuries to Bush and Dupree have, has really downgraded the, the danger, the um, blatant danger as great a season as Watt is having of that defense. I think they're going to have to exist in these grinding games to win games in January. And I think we may be talking about how Ben doesn't have the arm to do it. I just find it interesting because the Steelers for all have been just the wide receiver factory for years. And then you see guys like Deontay Johnson comes out of the woodwork. Chase Claypool comes out of, comes out and just says, Hey, I'm a super out of the woodwork. I mean, I watched Claypool last year. I wanted to like Claypool because you see what he physically looks like. And I just, the idea that you could come to a, to into the NFL, forget going from amateur football to pro football and, and all of that entails with the speed change and the pressure difference and everything that effectively, but to go to a, you know, a blue blood franchise, maybe the NFL franchise, if it's not the Cowboys, and play with so much personality and confidence that he didn't even have before. I don't know where it came from. They And that's why, like, I don't think that Randy Fickner, their offensive coordinator, is any good at managing a game, calling plays, having any feel for that. But something is going ridiculously right in the way that they develop talent, even what they made James Conner into compared to he, – he came out of college as basically a good story, and he became a legitimate – NFL starting running back and they can develop talent on that. Nobody even talks about the offensive line. They do the same thing there. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but like, I, I can't get over. It's one of those things again, 
to go back to my pathetic Jets fandom, it's one of those things that it's just crazy when you're watching another franchise that's able to do it over and over again, over. And it's not one or two times. It's over and over again. And some teams cannot find even one breakout player like that. So somebody's doing something right in coaching those offensive young players in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I want to know who the wide receiver coach is. I really, right. it's, it's never been identified. I should know. I don't off the top of my yeah. head, but yeah. I, it's it's never been fully identified or confirmed who they're, who knows? It could be just some MIA guy that is has like a mystery, <laughs> like a, a, a question mark on his face. Or that's what one superhero that has no f- Jerry Rice is a is a secret consultant. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. And yeah. Yeah. Maybe, who's that superhero that has like no face? I forget is was it the question? I think it's the question. Maybe they're run I by the question. Um, <laughs> I will say it's kind of like that wide receiver coach is basically to the Steelers what, what Skarnecchia was to the Patriots offensive line. Good call. It's yeah. you just have like this one specialist who's just really good at just coaching up this one position. Like you see, like years upon years of the Patriots having stellar offensive linemen, and yep. it's kind of like how which continues this way with this Onwenu kid, by the way, that they found out of nowhere and made into a starter and a plus offensive lineman. Wow, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that's another can of worms. I it's just for me when I watch this team. I, the defense is going to keep them always in games. The problem is that when I watch Ben Roethlisberger, it's clear to, as day that the years upon years of just wear and tear, taking massive hits, and the, his physical style of play has finally gotten to him. And it's been kind of like that elephant in the room for that team for years. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, that part of it I don't think is new because I, like I've been calling him a hideous quarterback for years, and that's why, just because – like. He, he he looks like he's held together with duct tape out there. That definitely is still true. That definitely is still true. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that at all. No. So I'm going to wrap this up. And by the way, I'm sorry, Ryan Taylor Hill, but we ran out of time. Um, I don't really have much to say about him anyway. <laughs> having a weird having a weird season. Perfectly fine. Yeah. Not a lot of noteworthy things to say about him. I I had some stuff ready to go, but we I'm happy to pass. Oh uh, yeah. Well okay. Well, we'll also extend this apology to Derek Carr <laughs> as well. Sorry, Derek Carr, but we ran out of time. So before I wrap up, I want to... You lucky son of a gun, Derek Carr. I'll just say that. You are so lucky. Oh, my God. I want to wrap wrap this up by going for something non-football related. And I alluded to this from the start. So from time to time, Uh I will see you put out a tweet or there about a TV show that you've been watching that you like, that you love. Mm. And I know Mm. that you are a huge Star Wars fan. Well, I'm not really sure like where you stand on the whole franchise, but that's like a whole podcast for another separate podcast. Right. Yeah, I'd be happy to get into it, but I don't think we have time for that. No, no. So what has been (laughs) like a show that you've loved that's really caught your eye in the year 2020? Oh, I got to go to Queen's Gambit. It's kind of basic. Um, that you know it's just the thing that everybody loves but it's it's the thing that everybody loves because it's that good um and it's also like easy uh, i don't know if you, did we talk about this i don't know I, I think you you saw it right i see that's the thing is that for me 2020 like i've been so off of television as a whole and I, i'm not one and in general i'm like i'm not one of those people that could sit through like a hour-long like those hour-long dramas like game of thrones or breaking bad i oh, okay. i can't that's limited i can't yeah. i'm sorry and i apologize for that i can't <laughs> my attention span sucks it's uh, so you're the best huh? it's so bad that I, well so this is a bad recommendation for you because this is hour-long drama it's a mini series so it's over in whatever it was seven episodes or whatever it is Ooh. so good it's so smart but just so inherently entertaining the acting is 
tremendous in the Queen's Gambit. I mean, such incredible acting. And then there's, it's just like a great period piece. You know, the clothing is gorgeous. The, you know, shots of 60s France and, and Moscow are incredible. Even even like Houston, 1960s Houston. It's just it's it's it was a really, really cool show. There's a reason why everybody loves it. Um, if I'm getting off of hour long dramas, though, 2020 fun things. I don't know, man. That's pretty limiting. I don't know if I have anything. I don't have. I don't think I have anything in that category for you. I so what I know about the show. By the way, the fact that you said that it was a limited series—that's already a good plus sign for me. Because then I know that there's a clear yep. end. <laughs> there, nice and easy. It's a clear yep. end, and you know there's other examples of limited series being incredible, like True Detective season one, for example, is a masterpiece. Mm, yeah, it's a great call. I did think of one, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, but I think it's easier to consume. Um, Ted Lasso. I don't know if you have Apple TV Plus or whatever the hell I they call it. I unfortunately do not. Yeah, I don't either. We we got like a free thing so that I could watch this eventually, but we haven't started it and whatever it is, free, free three months. Um, maybe if you could find something like that. This is a the um, Jason Sudeikis soccer show that everybody loves. Everybody says it's the best show on television in 2020, or quote unquote on television, and people are crying at this stupid soccer show that's premise was a NBC sports advertisement. So. Yeah. Wasn't this like a bit that Sadekis did for NBC? It was a bit. It was an NBC bit. It's unbelievable that it turned into an actual great television show, but it's Bill Lawrence. It's the dude who did um, scrubs, Ooh. which was a show I really liked Ooh. way back in the Ooh, day. I love scrubs too. So, so yeah, I think it, it just sensing what it is, it's weird for me to say without having seen it, but just sensing what it is, I think you'd be very into it. Yeah, I, I'm just for me, I'm just like, I'm already into this. I'm, and I'm just like, why does it have to be on, on, a, on, an, on a service that I don't have? Like, I only have <laughs> I only have Hulu and I only have like Netflix. And that's those are the only two that I have. And like for Hulu, I basically spend just to binge watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And that's basically mm. a theme for me, like 30 minutes, a comedy that that's that's for me. And sometimes I just w- wonder why dramas have to be like an hour. I don't under- I don't understand it. Maybe I'm just not the, uh, the target audience that they're going after. I think that might be the case. I think that might be the case. Us. It's maybe I'll just have to expand my attention span. Maybe that's it. But I but, you know, I wanted to go to you because I've seen you like tweet about Westworld. You love that's a show that you love too. Yes. And I yes. see, I love it because like, in a, I've had a class where I've like been, we've watched like certain scenes and they had us watch like an episode of Westworld. And I'm like, this is actually incredible. I love this. Really? Season one. What class was that? Uh, it was like a TV class where we were trying to, where they were trying to like tell elements of what makes like certain shows like groundbreaking. So we watched like an episode, for example, of true detective there was the scene where mcconaughey's character they do like this one shot of him just like getting out of this brawl this gunfight Mm, and it's mm. one of the more it's like the most amazing one shot scene i've ever seen right so well well done and i think they also made us watch one of the breaking bad episodes i think it was the episode where they met gus fring for the first time Mm. it was season two that's all i remember and I don't, I don't know if that's the end episode where Combo died. I'm not sure. All I know is that we watched something in season two and it had something to do with Gus Fring. And the end result was me just being so mesmerized by that show. 
Well, that was a good, that's a good professor. Yeah. Um, Westworld is great. Westworld has very few fans. Season one is flat out a masterpiece. The next two seasons are much more like challenging and cerebral. Um, I think that's the problem. That's what I, I'll, maybe I'll end there with that answer about why hour long dramas are worth it. There's a lot more you can do uh, thematically in that hour. Um, unless you're talking like animated where you have no bounds and you can do as many half hours as you want. But if you're going to do like live action, you got to really develop some things and you need some time to do it. And Westworld, man, the things Westworld did in season three, a season that everybody hated and dismissed are so dead on to the realities of 2020. It's amazing. And just nobody stopped to think about anything. Because nobody does. So that's, nobody does stop to think about anything. It's, an, so. it's unfortunate. And it is. All right, Tom, let's let, let the people know how they can reach out to you on social media and what you've been up to. Same same deal. Watching lots of NFL games over and over again. You can find my reaction to what I'm seeing at producer underscore Tom on Twitter where I'm spending way too much time. And you can listen to the radio show we work very hard on um, with Bill Ryder at 10 a.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Radio. All right, that's going to do it, everybody. Do not forget to follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor.fm. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I will see you guys next time.